book of John, 1 John, 1 John chapter 2, we'll begin reading verse 18. This morning I want to speak to you on this subject, thriving in the last days. Thriving in the last days. 1 John chapter 2, we'll begin to read in verse number 18. I'll invite you to stand, all those that can and are able in honor and in reverence for the reading of God's word. Where the Bible says in 1 John chapter 2, beginning to read in verse number 18, little children, it is the last hour as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Therefore, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning, if that which you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he has promised us, eternal life. These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you, and you do not need that anyone teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him. That when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Let's pray together. Father, we pray your spirit would speak to us today and challenge us. God, this, we pray every single week at this time. We pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would convict and draw anyone in our midst or anyone who may listen to this and rebroadcast later on the Internet uh, who's never been saved. There's never been a moment that they've turned from sin and trusted Christ to be Lord of their life. We pray your Spirit will convict them of their sin, their need for Christ's righteousness, judgment that's going to come against their soul one day. They're going to spend eternity in a place called hell unless they turn and trust Christ to be Lord of their life. We pray they'll do that today. God, I pray you'll challenge your church today concerning last day's living. Lord, I pray that when you do come, God, if we don't meet you because we die prior to the rapture, but if we find you in the rapture, you find us, we pray, God, that you'll find us being faithful. We pray you'll find the families of this church being faithful to your word and your mission we pray this church will be found faithful. God, I pray where we're lacking in that today, where there are areas of our life where we're not practicing truth. God, we're not abiding in you and in your word and in the spirit. Father, I pray your spirit will convict us of that. And I pray each of us will leave today in a right, revived relationship that is going and glowing in our relationship with you. Bless this time. Be honored and glorified through it all. It's in Christ's name we pray. We ask these things. Amen. Now I invite you again to be seated. Here's a review. Remember that in 1 John chapter 1, 
uh, John was writing and was really focused on light and darkness concerning those who are walking in the light, in a right relationship with Jesus Christ and those who are continuing to abide in lostness in darkness. In the beginning of chapter 2, he moved into love and hate. Those who love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, strength. They love their neighbor as their self. And the reflexive truth of that is, if you're not in that, then you, you're abiding in darkness. You, you're, you're consumed by hate. And John says, simply, anyone that hates their brother is not walking in the light. Well, now John begins to move into that which is true versus that which is false. True doctrine versus false doctrine. And he puts it against the backdrop of the last hour, the last days. Look again in verse 18. It says, little children, it is the last hour. Now, this really isn't a, a duration of time, but, but more of a kind of time. Remember that in Galatians chapter 4 and verse number 4, when Paul was writing a letter in response to Judaism and those who were trying to pervert the, the pure gospel to those churches that were in the area of Galatia. In Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4, he says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. When the fullness of time had come, this really wasn't a duration of time, but a, but a kind of time. It is when, when God saw that it was the right time and the, the, in his mind, the time that he had established before the foundation of the world that Christ was to come, well, then Christ came. And so John is just reminding us that we're, we're in the fourth quarter uh, and no one knows exactly when it's going to end except God. Uh, but we can certainly know that we're in the last days and Maybe just to, if it confuses you even more, just know we've been in the last days for the last 2,000 years. Since the ascension of Christ, we've been living in the last days. Listen, friend, according to the Word of God and those that rightly understand Scripture, there is not one single thing that has to happen on God's prophetic calendar before the rapture takes place. We are living in a world that is ripe for the soon coming of Jesus Christ. And so it's against that backdrop of living in the last days uh, that John begins to encourage us how to thrive in the last days. Remember John chapter 10 verse 10 says, but the thief comes but to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And so John was speaking truth about the enemy that we all have. Peter spoke of the enemy this way in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse number 8. He says, be sober, be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And so the devil's wishes for you, Christ, he reveals in John 10.10, is to give you life and life more abundantly. But the devil wants to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He goes about like a roaring lion seeking whose life and whose best he may devour to keep you away from God's best. In the book of Ephesians chapter 6, uh, the Apostle Paul writing about spiritual warfare reminds us in verse number 12 that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. It's not people who are the enemy, but it's the devil who seeks to work through them. And so you have to know the enemy uh, and identify the enemy before you can stand against the enemy. You have to know the enemy's strength, but you also have to know their, their limitations. 
And so John's given us some encouraging instruction in how we can thrive, not just survive. You know, I, think, I think there's a lot of Christians that I talk to, they just, they just want to make it to the rapture. They just want to make it to heaven. Well, friend, Christ didn't come and die on the cross just to save you from hell. Why don't you listen? He also saved you to get hell out of you. And so that you can experience God's best in this world. I don't care what your background is, how dysfunctional it may be. I want you to understand something this morning. You're somebody in Jesus Christ. And there's something that God wants to do in you and through you that you could never do on your own. There's something he wants to do in your marriage and through your marriage, through your family. Church, we need to be reminded uh, that, that God wants to do something in our church and through our church and continue until the age of the church is over. And so in order to experience that and for that to be reality, John's reminding us that there are some real, spiritual realities that, that must be in our lives. First off, the first reality is that of spiritual animation. Spiritual animation. We're talking about spiritual life. Look at verse number 18 of our text. He says, little children. Uh, and so this was a term of endearment that John had for disciples, but he was talking to those who are part of the family of God. I know that in you know, the world in which we live, we live in such a divided country. Uh, you know, there's left and right. Um, there's north and south. Uh, Republican, Democrat. We're, we're divided by sports teams, and we're, we're divided by all of these different things. But friend, I want you to know that God only sees people two ways. Lost and saved. That's it. That's the only way that God sees people. Those who have been born again and those who have, who have not. And so he, he's speaking here uh, about sonship or daughtership, not membership. And see, here in the South, that's one of the, the devil's greatest tools. Uh, the biggest cult here in the South, friend, it's not the Mormons, it's not the Jehovah's Witnesses, it's the good Baptist. It's, it's the people who think that all they have to do is just become a member of a church, be affiliated with the church, be affiliated maybe with Baptist doctrine, and that makes them right. But I want to remind you, in John chapter 3, Jesus was speaking to one of the most religious people there ever been. It was a man by the name of Nicodemus. And he understood truth. He acknowledged truth. He knew more of the Old Testament and forgot more of the Old Testament. Most of us will ever know. But Jesus looked at that very religious man and he said, you must be born again. And so it's, it's a need that every single person has is to be born again into the family of God. And, and when we do that, then we have access to the spiritual armament that we really need. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, Jesus told those early disciples who, who were ready to go and tell, who wanted to share the hope that they had in their heart, to tell people that Christ had risen from the grave. They had to wait for 10 days. He'd ministered to them for 40 days, but then they had to wait and pray and, and to wait in anticipation of someone who was going to come, and that someone was the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said, you shall receive power. And it's the power that they needed to accomplish what God had called them to do. And my friend, it's the power that we need to be able to accomplish what God has called us to do. It's why the Apostle Paul could say in Philippians 4 and verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 
The reflexive truth that's found in John 15, 5. Jesus told his disciples, you can't do anything without me. There's nothing spiritual that you can ever accomplish apart from me. And so there's no way that you can stand against Satan's schemes without the power of the Holy Spirit. You're helpless, and my friend, you're hopeless unless you are dependent upon Jesus Christ. And you hear me this morning. It doesn't begin with church membership. It doesn't be, begin with, I've heard so many different numbers say, well, I was confirmed. That, that does nothing for you. You say, well, I was, I was baptized when I was nine months old. You did no such thing. My friend, J- Jesus said, you must be born again. And that takes place, friend, when the Holy Spirit of God convicts you of your lostness, draws you invites you to salvation. It's all of God. It's not of man. But we have a responsibility, my friend, to choose to turn and receive Jesus Christ to be Lord of our lives. And it's only then that we're going to have the power that we need to be able to stand and to be effective. No greater illustration I know of uh, of, of, of needing the Holy Spirit is found than in Acts chapter 19. Remember the Apostle Paul had suffered a lot of hardship in Thessalonica, and the Holy Spirit sent Paul and his companions uh, there to Ephesus. And there they began a great ministry. And in Acts chapter 19, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit was so on the Apostle Paul that, that unusual miracles were worked by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that he wiped the sweat from his bodies, he made tents, were, were taken up by people, and they were healed from their diseases. He had so much of Jesus on him that it rubbed off on other people. And he began to exercise demons to set people free. And not in his power, but in Jesus' name. In the power of the Holy Spirit. And you'll remember there was this one Jewish uh, individual. His name was Stephen. He had seven sons. Well, they were lost as a dog in high grass. They wouldn't have known God if they had met him in the road, friend. But they saw what Paul was doing. They said, well, hey... Our dad's a big leader down at the church. So this would be something fun for us to try. And they went and found this individual who was possessed by a demon. And you'll remember they walked up and they said, Hey, we we, we adjure you. We we command you in the name of Jesus to, to come out of this man. And you remember what happened? The demon, he looked at these boys who didn't have God personally in their life because they'd never turned from sin, trusted Christ. And they said, Jesus we know. And Paul we know, but who in the world are you? And that man jumped on them, and the Bible says he absolutely warmed to death, and they ran out of the house, beaten half to death, and half naked. He ripped their clothes off. You see, friend, they had a lot of religion, but they didn't have the Holy Spirit. They had never been born again. And I'm telling you, my friend, the reason so many people live absolute defeated lives, their marriages are broken, and so many churches today are broken and ineffective in what God has called them to do is because they're trying to accomplish something in the power of the flesh, and God never energizes flesh. You have to be born again. It's the gateway where everything starts spiritually in people's lives. You must be saved. But then in that also, friend, you must be sanitized. Psalm 66, verse 18. If I regard iniquity in my life, the Bible says, God will not hear me. If you as a believer today have sins of commission, and hear me, the greater is this that nobody talks about. It's sins of omission. It's just as much a sin 
in, in the eyes of God, friend, to not read your Bible every day. To not spend time in prayer. To not be filled with the Spirit, Ephesians 5.18. To not, husbands, not to love your wives as Christ loved the church. To not utilize your spiritual gift in service. To not live on mission. If I regard iniquity, if I allow sin to continue in my life, the Bible says my spiritual relationship with God is hindered, Isaiah 59, to sin separates us from God. And so you must be filled with the Spirit. But friend, you've got to be sanitized too. You've got to be in a right, growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And then you must be submitted, Ephesians 5, 18. Church family, you help me out with this. When you get saved, the Holy Spirit comes to be resident. But more than that, He must be president. You must be filled with the Spirit. And so Paul said, uh, 1 John says, uh, we must have spiritual animation. That is, there must be spiritual life if you're going to thrive. Not just survive. But I mean thrive in these very difficult days. Secondly, there must be spiritual alertness in your life. Remember Jesus told his disciples in Mark chapter 14 and verse number 38, he said, watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Uh, a verse that we looked at earlier, First Peter 5, 8, Peter says we're to be sober-minded. We're, we're to be vigilant. We're, we're always to be on guard, and we're always to be scanning our lane. Why? Because the Bible says we're living in, we're living in the, last, this, the last hour, the, the last moments. And so John says, in these last moments, continue to read, you've heard that the Antichrist is coming. And now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. Now John's the only writer in the Bible to use the term Antichrist. Paul speaks of the man of sin uh, in his letter to the Thessalonican church. Uh, but three things that we can learn about Antichrist. Number one, uh, this, it's a spirit in the world that opposes or denies Christ. And so when the Bible is talking about the spirit of Antichrist, uh, it is that spirit that exists in the world that opposes or denies all things that is Christ. It's worldliness. Secondly, it's teachers who embody that spirit in action and in doctrine, what they teach. But third, it also speaks about the Antichrist, the man of sin, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, who will come on to the scene after the rapture. And boy, lived out in front of us in living color, it is going to be able to be, bring peace between the Jews and the Muslim world uh, for a peace pact to be signed so that the temple can be rebuilt on the temple mount. He'll have all the power of hell behind him to be able to accomplish that. In John chapter 14, verse 9, Jesus said, If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so one day to see the Antichrist, we'll be able to see his Father. And that's Satan himself. Remember, Satan always wants to duplicate God. He wants to be God. He wants worship. But my friend, he can't ever duplicate. The best he can muster up is simply just to imitate. And that's what the Antichrist will be, an imitation of Christ. There'll be a false prophet, uh, the Bible teaches, who will help Antichrist in the last days. He imitates the Holy Spirit. Uh, but he's, he's coming after the rapture. But the Bible says prior to that, look again at verse number 18, there will be antichrists. These are teachers, teachers of false doctrine who will be on the scene seeking to sow false doctrine 
into your life. And my friend, listen to me. They're everywhere. They're everywhere. They're in the bookstore. They're on the radio. And sadly, a lot of them are behind pulpits this morning. And, and, they're, and they're teaching false doctrine about the Bible. Verse number 22, on the strong end, uh, they deny that Jesus is the Christ. Look at verse number 22. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? And there are denominations that do that. Some will probably knock on your door and want to come in and sit down. They're going to say, oh, yeah, um, we believe in Jesus Christ. But if you begin to lay your Bible beside their Bible, uh, it will say, you know, in the beginning was the Word, was with God in the book of John, and the Word was not God, but was a God. They don't believe Jesus is God, but they believe he was a God. And then some others will come by, and they'll usually be in white shirt and black pants, and their right leg's got a rubber band around it to keep it from getting hung in their bike chain. And they'll want to come up. It's true. And they'll, want to, they'll come, and they'll want to come in and sit down and begin to talk to you. And they'll want to tell you about an extra-biblical book that reveals some other truths. But my friend, they don't believe that Jesus is God, and Jesus truly is the Son of God. And so they deny that Jesus is the Christ. That's on the strong end. But here's the most dangerous problem. It's on the subtle end. It's teachers who affirm that the Bible says that Jesus is the Christ. He's the Messiah. But it's the things that they don't that they willfully will not teach. They stay away from core doctrines that you can't be built into the disciple of Jesus Christ unless you really know. And so it's an intentional absence. You don't hear anybody much preach about lordship anymore. That our lives are to be wholly surrendered to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And pastors and teachers that won't teach on that, friend, there's a deliberate absence. That's the spirit of Antichrist. They're leaving out core doctrines that you need to know in order to be built into the disciple that honors and pleases Christ in all things. They don't talk about stewardship. They don't talk about the judgment seat of Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.10. Yes, friend, every person who is never saved, who never trusts Christ, they're going to stand before a great white throne, Revelation 20. They're going to give an account to God. For all the sin that they commit. And the biggest sin is this, that they would not turn and receive Jesus Christ. They rejected Lot. But you hear me, the Bible clearly teaches every born-again believer will stand at the judgment seat of Christ. Not the great white throne. Our sins, thank God, friend, they were paid for at Calvary. Christ is answered for that. But you hear me, friend, you're going to give an account for what you've done with the spiritual life that you've had whether you followed God fully in His will for your life, for your family, and for our local church. Did you grow as a disciple? Luke 9, 23. Have you daily forsaken all to follow Jesus Christ in all things? They, they don't talk about service within the life of the church. They just, they just want you there. And whatever you'll give. But my friend, I want to remind you, you were saved to serve. God's given you a spiritual gift. There is a place for every single person under the sound of my voice to fit into the ministry spokes of the life of this church, to do things that God has ordained for you to do. He's willed for you to do. And He'll do it through you, and He's gifted you in such a way. And it's something that He wants to do through you that He doesn't want to do through somebody else. But if you don't do it, somebody else has to do it, and they can't effectively do what God wants them to do because they're spread too thin. 
So there's service for everybody in the life of the church. Evangelism. It's, it's, it's the mission of the church. God expects for all people to live on mission. As we've already prayed this morning, there's missionaries all the way around the world. We have North American missionaries that are seeking to plant churches in areas of our, of our country that are under-evangelized. But if you live here and you're in the will of God, this is your mission field. This is where you are daily, my friend, to be on mission, seeking to build relational equity with people, to use your job, your skills, your passions, where you live, work, and play, to build relationships with people. So for one reason only, friend, you can share the gospel with them and then disciple them after you lead them to Christ. And we're all going to give an answer for whether we've done that or not. It's to be one of the singular focuses of our lives. Our families are to be set up in that way. And the local church exists for missions. And that's not being preached and taught anymore because it makes people grumpy. They don't want to hear that. My friend, it's a core doctrinal truth that we'll be responsible for. Morality. Pulpits are silent about morality. Now, friend, Jesus said, be holy for I am holy. And holiness, I realize, is something that is not in vogue in the world in which we're living. What God says is right will always be right. And what God says is wrong will always be wrong. And my friend, the church did the most for the world when it was least like the world. And when people say, oh, the church is full of hypocrites, there's a reason for that. Because so many people's lives are marked by worldliness. And Antichrist today are failing to preach these core doctrines and to teach these core doctrines. So John says you need to be, you need to be aware of that. You need to be alert. You need to be scanning your lane constantly on guard for false doctrine that's being sown into your life. Or listen, my friend, the absence thereof. And someone who won't preach and teach those core doctrines or just says, friend, listen, I know a pastor, you could throw a rock not far and hit the steeple from here, who said, we don't talk about those things up here. I won't tell you why. Because he knows two-thirds of his congregation will be gone the next week. And friend, listen, God didn't call the local church to make people happy, but to preach doctrinal truths that they might be holy. Holy. And so you need to be on guard against that. And you do that by scanning your lane, constantly being on guard against the enemy. There's something called a patrol base. When a unit is out on mission, they'll look for a piece of ground that's easy to be defended, uh, but still something the enemy wouldn't want. And they'll set up for the night in a certain position. And then a the platoon leader will set up a plan and then squad leaders will come by and they'll take each soldier as they built a fighting position and they'll put two, two pieces of wood down in the ground. They call them sector stakes. And so all that soldier's responsible for until they move again is what's between the left sector stake and the right sector stake. His weapon will hit the left sector stake and his weapon will hit the right sector stake. doesn't matter what's happening over here or behind him. All he's to be focused on is what's in front of him. But listen, if he gets to thinking about uh, how uncomfortable he is, how cold he is, how wet he is, uh, maybe if mom just took an apple pie out of the oven back home, and how warm his bed would feel, 
Boy, he wished he had a cheeseburger. He begins to think about all of these things that have nothing to do with the mission. Before you know it, my friend, the enemy can slip up over the hill, and he's dead. And that's why the Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4, no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he might please him who has enlisted him to be a soldier. If you're going to be effective and you're going to thrive in these days, you must be spiritually alert at all times. You have to realize there's an enemy, my friend, that wants to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He can't steal your salvation, but he can steal your testimony. He can steal your joy. He can kill your influence and absolutely destroy any spiritual impact that you might have upon this world because of sin in your life. And you've got to be constantly on guard against him. You have to know the enemy. Continue to look at verse number 19. It speaks about these individuals that the devil uses. It says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they'd been with us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. A lot of them started out in churches. Uh, Paul speaks about that in, in 1 Timothy chapter 4. And verse number 1 says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times... Some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines and demons, speaking lies in hypocrisy and having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. They started out in the local church, and everything seemed great, man. They were hot-hearted and moving along. Then all of a sudden, you couldn't find them. And they began to live a life that was really void of lived-out truth. And you try to talk to them about their need for Christ and their need to serve Christ wholly. And my friend, it's like talking to a rock. The more you talk to them, the more they just sit there and stare at you like you're absolutely stupid. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Have those conversations? Why is that? Because their conscience has been seared with a hot iron. You say, did, well, did they lose their salvation? No, friend. Faith that fizzles before the finish had a flaw from the first. You can't lose what you never... Friend, can I, I want to tell you a secret this morning. All right, listen. I have never lost a million dollars. You want to know why? I've never had a million dollars. My friend, nobody ever lost their salvation. They didn't have it to begin with. And so the Bible says they started off with that is They were in our midst. They looked just like us. Jesus in Matthew 13, verse number 24, tells a parable about the wheat and the tares. There was real seed that began to develop into real life, but the devil came along and sowed tares. This is a type of ryegrass. It looks just like the weed in its early stages, but when it grows up, the wheat bears fruit, but the tares nothing but a weed. And in the end, the farmer separates both of them. The wheat's brought into the, into the storehouse, but the tares are burned in eternal fire. That means there are people who start out in our midst that say the right things, sing the right things, but they depart and live lives that are void of surrender to the Holy Spirit. And so you've got to be aware of people sowing false doctrine in your life who have that kind of testimony. It's false doctrine that they'll plant into your life often by way of example. You'll be influenced. You, there's a big term today you say, well, this person's an influencer. They influence in this. Well, friend, there's a lot of spiritual influencers. You better make sure that the only people, you better stay alert, that the only people that are influencing you are people whose lives are in line with the Word of God. And you see fruit of life, proof of life in them. 
And John says, I'm not telling you anything that you don't know. Look at verse 21. I've not written to you because you don't know the truth, but because you know it and that no lie is of the truth. He says, I'm trying to tell you to remember these things. Look at verse number 26. These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. So you've got to be on guard because the devil will constantly be bringing people, antichrists, who want to sow false doctrine into your life. And false doctrine is anything that's contrary to the Word of God and how you should live, think, speak, and act. And that's why Paul said in Philippians 2, 5, let this mind that was in Christ Jesus be in you also. And so if it's contrary to the Word, it's a lie. And I want to remind you, my friend, a partial truth is an untruth. And I teach and preach the whole counsel of God's Word. All of it. Every single bit of it we need. So you've got to be scanning. You've got to be watchful. And you have to search. I love the example in Acts chapter 17, verse 11. Uh, when Paul moved on to Berea. There, Paul's always, always moving on mission, wherever the Holy Spirit led him. There they went to Berea. Uh, they were more uh, fair-minded uh, than all of the hardheads in Thessalonica. But the Bible says something amazing about these people. Everything that Paul and his team began to preach and teach, they didn't just take it. The Bible says they searched the Scriptures daily to see if it was so. So these are things. That, why do you think I constantly tell you? Friend, I've told you for seven years. Look at your Bibles. Look at your Bibles. Look at your Bibles. Friend, I don't have anything to give you. Can't tell you any jokes. I don't know any good stories to tell you. But my friend, I have something that will change your life, and it's the Word of God. Don't take my word for it. Just look at the Bible. And so you've got to be searching. You hear something, see if it's in the Word of God. Someone tells you you need to be acting, thinking, doing something in your life, Look at the Word of God. See if it's right. So you have to stay alert to stay alive and to thrive. So there must be spiritual animation. You have to have spiritual life. And there must be spiritual alertness. But third, there must also be spiritual abiding. Spiritual abiding. Look at verse number 24. Therefore, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. Look at verse number 27. But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you. Verse number 28. And now, little children, abide in him. We have to be abiding. And literally that word means this, friend, to be at home, to be, to be settled in. Uh, it's, it's speaking about placement, a resting place. You know, when someone moves or someone's been on a trip and they get back home, you'll call and check on them. So I'll just want to see if you guys are back, and they'll say, yes, we just got settled in. We're, we're back home. We're all, we're all settled in. And that's the way you've got to be with the Word of God. And that's the way you've got to be with the Spirit of God. And that's the way you've got to be with the Son of God. You must be abiding in those three. First off, you must be abiding in the Scriptures. Look at verse number 24. Let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. Now, my friend, for the Word of God to abide in you, those four words we've taught you, you have to know, stow, show, and sow. You have to know God's Word. You only get that, friend, from reading and studying. I appreciate Bible tapes and people listening, but my friend, you hear me this morning. There is no substitute for you opening a Bible with pages. I'm telling you, friend, artificial intelligence can't change this. 
It can change what's on your computer screen. I know everybody's wanting to be tech crazy today, but I'm telling you, friend, there is no substitute for a Bible with pages in it. No substitute. And so there's no substitute for Bible study. You're never going to know the Word of God, my friend, unless you put time in the study of the Word of God. Everybody can give at least 15 minutes every morning. And I'll tell you, friend, I've learned this in life. You'll give time to what's important. I've never seen somebody that loves to deer hunt complain, well, I had to get up at 3 o'clock this morning. Oh, and I had to go climb up. that. No, friend, they're so glad to get up in that deer stand and freeze to death. I've never heard a lady say on Black Friday, oh, well, we had to get up at 3.30 to beat the crowds on Black Friday. It was just, they loved it. That's why they were there. They had on shoulder pads and hard-toed shoes so they could kick people, knocking them out of the way to get to all the deals. Why? Because they loved doing it. My friend, I'll tell you something. If you really love the Lord Jesus Christ, it won't be a problem for you to get up in the morning and spend time in the study of God's Word. You're going to love the Word of God. You're going to love to hear the Word of God and internalize the Word of God, to know it and let it become a part of your life, and then to show it, to live it out on a daily basis. And when you do that, friend, you're going to sow it by example, but you'll take opportunity to sow it by word, and there's no greater way, my friend, for you to learn the Word of God than to tell it to other people. There's not. One of the greatest ways that you can learn is by teaching. And you, you continue to do it, and you continue to, to rehearse it, not so that you, you know, could get it right, but to where you can't get it wrong. You just understand it, and it becomes a part of you. Know, stow, show, and so. And so the Word of God will continue to abide in you. John chapter 8, verse number 31, Jesus gave a profound truth. And my friend, this is, this is one of those testing truths. See where you stand on this. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him. He was the son of God. He was exactly who God said. He says, if you abide in my word. He says, if, if you're at home in my word, if my word remains in you and you remain in my word. He says, you're my disciples indeed. Well, what's the reverse truth of that? If you don't abide in God's word, you're not his disciple. And Jesus is the one who says that. It's the sure mark of a disciple. And here's the benefit. He says, and then you shall know the truth. See, when you abide in the Word of God, when you're at home in the Word of God, when you're constantly spending time that you might know, stow, show, and sow, you're going to know the truth by experience. And here Jesus says is the blessing. The truth will make you free. Now, for many of those Jews, they thought, oh, Rome is going to be destroyed. Jesus said, my kingdom's not of this world. He wasn't talking about political freedom, but spiritual freedom. Freedom from sin's penalty on our life, but then after we're saved, freedom from sin's possession of our life. And then ultimately, one day, what we sung about all morning, free from sin's presence. We'll never have to deal with it again, but only the Word of God leads us to where we can have a relationship with Jesus Christ. The Word declares how to be saved. So not only are we to be abiding in Scriptures, but we're to be abiding in the Holy Spirit. Look at verse number 27. He says, But the anointing which you have received from Him abides in you. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. John chapter 14 and verse number 16. Uh, Jesus said, And I will pray to the Father, and He will send you another Helper, that He may abide with you forever. 
When you get saved, my friend, you receive the best friend you'll ever have, and that's the Holy Spirit of God. And you get all of Him, friend, that you're ever going to get because He's a person. The question is this, does He have all of you? You hear people say, well, I just wish I had more of God. If you've got saved, friend, you've got all of Him you can ever get. It's not a question of you getting more of God. The question is this, Him getting more of you. Making sure that every part of your life is fully surrendered to His Lordship. 1 Corinthians 2.14, the Apostle Paul says, The natural man perceives not the things of God for their foolishness to him. Neither can he know them for they're spiritually discerned. Lost person hears the preaching of the Word of God, reads the Word of God, and it's like Charlie Brown's teacher talking to him. Y'all remember that? Just wah, wah, wah. I don't understand that. I don't understand. Well, you can understand it because you've never been born again. But when the Holy Spirit comes to live within your heart, friend, then you can begin to understand spiritual truth because spiritual truth is taught by the Holy Spirit. And you're to depend upon Him, to remain in Him. John 14, 26, But, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. You want to thrive in the last days? You can't do it apart from the Word of God. And it's the Holy Spirit that teaches us truth. And when you come into a certain situation, listen, He's going to tell you what tool you need at that moment. You know, if I was to go to a master electrician's toolbox, friend, I wouldn't know needle nose pliers from black electrical tape. All I would end up doing is getting shocked and fall over dead if I had to touch something. But that master electrician, they know what every single little tool is for every single little tool. When you hide the word of God in your heart, listen, your word have I hidden in my heart that I may not sin against you. The psalmist says, when you hide the word of God in your heart and you begin to understand what those truths mean, they're there. And when you hit a certain situation in life, when false doctrines come against you, when the devil tries to tempt you uh, to sin, to draw you away from God, the Holy Spirit at that, at that point, friend, he reaches into the toolbox of your heart and he pulls out a piece of scripture and it's that scripture that leads you into victory. It's the Holy Spirit that helps you understand how to rightly apply those things. But you have to have a right relationship with the Holy Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says, Quench not the Spirit. That is, if you don't do what the Spirit of God is leading you to do, you quench Him. It's like putting a wet blanket on top of a fire. It quenches it. Apostle Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30, To grieve not the Spirit. That is, when you sin, friend, and you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit... It makes him grumpy. It's, it's the same thought that Isaiah, when he was speaking to King Ahaz, in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 13, says, it's easy to weary man, but would you also weary God with your lack of faith? And so don't, don't make the Holy Spirit weary by not obeying Him and not being surrendered and by not being sanitized. So we have to abide in the Scriptures. We have to abide in the Holy Spirit. But I close with this, my friend. We also have to abide in the Son. You have to be in a right relationship with Jesus Christ. Verse number 28 of our text says this, And now, little children, abide in Him, that when He appears we may have confidence and not be ashamed before Him at His coming. It's talking about Christ. I want you to look up here at me this morning. Look at me. I want to ask you a question. Now, be honest before God because He knows the truth. Is Jesus Christ real to you? 
I mean, is he really real to you? You know, or is he, or is he just a picture on Mamaw's wall in the kitchen on those little plaques? Or is he, you know, just somebody we know about and we sing about? You, I mean, you really believe he died on the cross and, you know, he's, he's never... But is he, is he personally real to you? Are you in a growing personal relationship with Jesus Christ? When you read your Bible, do you really hear Jesus speaking to you through those words? I mean, when you pray, are you, are you praying, you know, millions of light years and galaxies away to a person that's in heaven? Or do you really believe that Christ is in the room with you when you're praying? When we worship, do we really believe the Word of God that we're two or three are gathered? He's in our midst. When you witness, do you really believe that He's there with you? Not only is He working in your heart, but He's also working in the other person. Yes, it's the person of the Holy Spirit, but it's also the Son of God. Is He real to you? Do you truly feel each day, Luke 9, 23, that you're daily forsaking all, taking up your cross, and you literally, you're following Jesus that day? That Jesus himself has a will for your life. And you really want him, remember the successful Christian life is not you living for Jesus, it's him living through you. Do you really believe you're yielding yourself and it's Christ is living his life that he wants to through you? If you don't see that, friend, you're not going to have confidence. Verse 28, when he returns. And now little children abide in him. That is, have a real relationship with him. That when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed that he's coming. Because see, if he's real to you, you're going to be a doer of his word. You're going to be yielded to his will and his way for your life. And listen, and then when he comes, you're not going to be ashamed to stand in his presence. You're going to be glad. Because, friend, listen, you can be surrendered in this and know this. You didn't do anything except yield yourself. He did it through you. And so he gets all the glory for it. That's a question to ask ourselves. You know, if, if the rapture was today, this afternoon I'm sitting at the house, and the rapture took place, would I be embarrassed or would I be proud? to kneel at the Savior's feet and say, I did the best I could with what you gave me. And that depends upon whether you really abide in Him. Look at verse number 29. Is that merely a desire or is that a reality? If you know that He is righteous, that's Jesus, and you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of Him. Do you just want to be holy? Or do you truly do the things and yield yourself so that you can have that kind of life. Is it a reality? To be a doer of the word. John 15, 5, Jesus said, Without me, you can do nothing. That is, we are totally to be abided in him. But the reverse truth is this from Philippians 4, 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that means this, friend. Listen to me. We're going to invitation. You don't have to just survive these days. You know, survival is just hanging on until somebody comes and rescues you. You know, somebody gets lost out in the woods, separated from their uh, hiking party, and, you know, they were fed by a friendly raccoon and ate pine cones and drank water for a few days till, you know, they were rescued. They just survived. They were hanging on. I think that's how a lot of people see the Christian. I'm just, I'm just hanging on till Jesus comes. Well, friend, I don't want to just hang on till Jesus comes. 
I want to thrive in these days. If Jesus says he saved me that I can have life more abundantly, I want all of whatever abundant means. I want to thrive. And you cannot have that without spiritual animation. You can't have it without spiritual alertness. And you can't have it without spiritual abiding. So are you going to survive or are you just going to thrive? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Let's take that first one. If you died today, are you 100% certain you'd go to heaven? I mean, can you identify a time in your life where you repented of sin, you trusted Jesus to be Lord of you? If there's never been that moment, the Bible says this is the time. This is the acceptable moment. God wants you to be saved now. Christ loves you. He died for you. God loves you. He sent Christ to die in your place. If you'll only turn from sin and trust him today, the Bible says whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. But you've got to choose to do it. The quietness of your heart, just tell God that's your desire right now. Pray just like this. God, today I believe that Jesus died for me. I believe he rose again. He died for my sin that I'm sorry for. I turn from it. I turn wholly to Jesus today. And I trust him and him alone to be Lord of my life as best as I know how. I'm asking you to forgive me, to save me, and to be Lord of my life. If you prayed that prayer, you meant it with all your heart. In just a moment, I'm going to invite you to make your way forward where I'm standing. I want to encourage you in what God wants to do next in your life. Friend, be honest. The Spirit will convict you if you're not. Are you just kind of drifting through life like a leaf on the wind? Or every day are you constantly being spiritually alert, looking for Satan's schemes, knowing that his greatest desire is to steal, to kill, and to destroy? You must be spiritually alert. If you're not, ask God to help you to be that today. For those truths to be a reality in your life that you might be alert. Are you abiding in him? Are you abiding in the Word? Are you filled with the Spirit? Ephesians 5, 18. Are you abiding in Him? Are you abiding in the Son? Is Jesus Christ real to you? Oh, friend, if you're lacking in those, pray God would revive you today, stir you up to a fresh new beginning, and leave this place today rightly surrendered and able to experience a life that thrives not just survives in these last days. God, you speak to your church. You know each individual need and each individual heart. Pray your will be accomplished as we yield ourselves to you now. It's in Christ's name we pray. Let's reverently stand to our feet. Heads are bowed.